0: Welcome to the Crafting and Coffee Podcast with Amy Latta Creations. Let's get inspired. Hi, friends, and thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to episode five of the Crafting and Coffee podcast. This is actually the second part of a two part series on turning your hobby into a business. So, if you missed the first part in episode four, you might want to hop back and take a look at that before you continue listening to this one because you're going to be jumping in in the middle. Um, But basically, what we're talking about is taking your creative passion, whatever that might be, whether it's quilting or metal stamping or Quilling or um, calligraphy or hand lettering like what I do, painting, building furniture, whatever you do, taking that and turning it into a way to generate some income. So last week, we, um, we focused on doing that in the sense of taking what you make and selling it. Now, there are obviously lots of other ways to turn your creative passion into a business, um, as I've done by starting my blog and website, by writing books on hand lettering. There are plenty of other ways to monetize as well. But the most common questions that I'm asked are those uh, related to, How do I sell the things that I'm creating? So we talked about the fact that there are kind of five basic questions that you want to ask yourself if you're considering going this route and trying to put sort of a business plan together. In episode four, we tackled the first three of those five questions, which were, what are you selling? How do you price it? And what do you call your business? So today we're going to start off with question four, which is why are you selling? And the reason that we need to touch on this real quickly is because it's going to affect the way that you approach this whole business. Um, It's if you're doing this for fun, if it's because you love to create things and you want to keep making more, but you've run out of wall space to display it and you've already given all your relatives wall signs or coffee mugs or quilts or whatever it is, and you just want to keep creating but have something to do with all the things that you're making, um That's just, you know, doing this for fun, and that's going to mean that you're a lot differently motivated than someone who's doing this because they want to replace the income of a full-time job. So obviously, if you're looking at this as a way to reach a goal, like quitting your nine-to-five, you're going to be a lot more motivated to take more risks, to do um more craft fairs to get out there on more websites to do advertising and to invest a little bit more in it than if you 're just doing this um, as a fun little thing to do on the side and see where it takes you. Some folks um do this as a way to reach a goal that 's smaller than quitting their full time job like making bonus money for Christmas or something like that. Um, some folks are doing this because they're trying to raise money for a cause. And that can actually be sort of a different animal because like when we were in the process of international adoption last year, there were key fobs that my mom and I made and sold and I made and sold some hand-lettered t-shirts that said the word jating, which is family in Chinese. And when I went about selling those things, I did it very differently than when I was just looking to make a little money on the side because I wanted to be very upfront with my potential customers about my cause because you'll find that there's a lot of people who will purchase something when they know where the money is going and they know that it's going to help or to benefit a particular thing. So, you know, if you're selling it to fundraise for an adoption or to fundraise for someone's medical bills or whatever the case might be, or you're donating to a local nonprofit or charity, uh, make sure that you advertise that and let people know because sometimes that will motivate buyers um, to purchase things that they might not otherwise purchase. So that's something to think about as well. So you want to consider why it is that you're selling. Is it just for fun? If so, relax, just see what happens. And you know, when it stops being fun, if it stops being fun, you can just kind of give it up and go back to doing it as a hobby. No harm, no foul. If your goal is to raise a certain amount of money or to get yourself to the point where this is actually your full-time job, um, then obviously you're going to be coming at it from a much more business-minded approach and you're going to be taking the whole endeavor a lot more seriously. So that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. You know, how risky do you want to be? How much do you want to invest in this from the beginning? And then I want to go ahead and jump to our fifth and final question, which is where are you going to do your selling? Because this is the one that I keep <laughs> I keep trying to record this and running over my time by far because I have so much to say about this. Um, but this question, the where are you going to sell is basically a question of, are you doing physical business or web-based business? And keep in mind as we talk about the two possibilities that the answer doesn't have to be A or B. The answer can also be C, both. So we're going to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of each and some specifics. And we're going to start with the physical business. And we're one of the pros of having your things sold in a physical space, wherever that is, is that it allows you to physically meet and interact with customers. So you're able to tell your story, they're able to see you work, they're able to touch and feel and see your goods firsthand. And that actually goes a long way because folks feel a connection And they also can see exactly what it is that you're offering. Once I ordered beads online, and I was so upset when they came because, silly me, like I had no idea at the time how big a three millimeter bead was actually going to be. And I had something envisioned in my head that I wanted to do with these beads. And when they came, I was like, these are tiny. I can't do anything with these. So I think sometimes, you know, people get overwhelmed or nervous buying things online when they can't touch it. They can't see the quality. They're trusting a photo. And so I think, you know, sometimes you get those hands-on folks who are going to benefit from actually being able to see what you have to offer. Now, i um, Some of the cons that are related to a physical selling situation, one is that it takes actual time out of your day, anytime that you're going to be in a place where you're physically selling something, unless you've hired someone to do that for you, which I'm guessing you probably haven't, um, if you're just starting out with this to see if you can give it a go. you're probably using your Saturdays, you're using your weekends, and that can be a hard thing to do. You know, we all have busy lives. I've got kids who take swim lessons every week, who have Bible study every week. We've got places to go, things to do. Um, my best friend has four kids and three of them all play soccer on Saturday morning. So, you know, it's, you have to evaluate, are you able to give the kind of time that it takes to do a physical setup somewhere? Um, It also limits you to the geographical market. So, you know, if you're set up at a craft fair or you've got your stuff on consignment somewhere, you're limited to the folks who can drive there. Whereas if you're selling web-based, you have access to the whole world. Um, The other con, which is sort of the one that has turned me off in a big way to physically selling my things personally, um, is that it can be very frustrating and discouraging. It is hard to sit all day at a craft fair and watch people just walk by like your stuff is nothing. Um, I tend to not be very thick skinned. And so the comments that people make, um, I'm sensitive about them, which I know some of that is just me. But I have a really hard time sometimes overhearing the things that people say about What I created, if they don't like it, or they don't like my style, or they think it's not worth the price that I'm charging. Um, So, that can be a really difficult part of the physical setup as well that sometimes um, people don't take into consideration when they start out. And that was Flynn the cat saying hello, by the way, if you heard him. Um, So, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of physical setup if you decide to try that. The most common option for that would be some kind of craft fair, vendor fair type thing. Um, All of these, wherever you do them locally, are different because each one is going to have a different entry fee that you have to pay for your space, different space size, different requirements. Some provide tables and chairs, some require you to bring those things, and some people may not have those offhand. Um, So you have to take into consideration the specifics of each craft fair and whether or not it's a good fit for you. You want to think about how much traffic that particular fair gets. Um, Is it affected by the weather? Once I signed up for an outdoor craft fair and it rained and they didn't choose to go with a rain date, they chose to let us stay set up in the soggy, wet, disgusting rain. And I had an easy up tent, but it was miserable. It was cold and nobody came. And I made like two dollars all day because my neighbor's mother felt sorry for me and she bought a little chalkboard sign. Um, So I lost my space money. It was terrible. Um, So you want to consider, is it an indoor or outdoor venue? And how is the weather possibly going to affect it? Um, Take into consideration, who is the average person who's coming? Is it someone who is looking for what you have to offer. I know um, the things that I create tend to be more for an audience that's kind of on trend, that's looking for the home decor and things that are trending right now on Pinterest, etc. And the audience I got the last time I tried to set up was at a holiday bazaar at a little church in my community. And the average person who came was probably 75 years old and had no idea what hand lettering was. And it was super frustrating because I actually overheard one lady say to another something along the lines of, I can't believe she just bought those things and is reselling them. Um, I had these little chalkboard ornaments that I had lettered on and it, I mean, I guess it was a compliment that it looked so nicely done, but um, she thought that I had just bought them um, already lettered, I guess, at Michael's or something and I was trying to resell them, which... um, you know, it was really frustrating because I wasn't part of the conversation. So I couldn't interrupt and be like, no, you don't get it. I made this. I created this. Um, and so it can be really hard if the demographic doesn't understand or appreciate what you're bringing to the table. Um, You also want to ask yourself at that craft fair, what's the incentive for folks to buy? Is it a holiday bazaar? If it is, that's probably a good choice because people come around the holidays looking to spend money. Um, They come with people in mind who are on their gift list, and they're looking for things that remind them of certain people. Um, They're ready to purchase because they know they need gifts, and they might as well buy them here. If you're doing a fair in the middle of the summer on a random Saturday, there's a lot less incentive for folks to buy unless they have a birthday or something or, you know, they're looking for a particular item. Um, People are a lot less ready to pull out their checkbooks on a random Saturday in June than they are in November. Um, Finally, you have to ask yourself, based on the particular things that you are selling, how much do I actually have to move Um, in order to cover my expenses. Remember, you had to pay for your space. You may have had to pay to rent a table and your time is also an expense. So if you're selling, like I was trying to sell little $5 Christmas ornaments, how many of those are you going to have to sell to make up a $100 space fee? Versus if you're someone who builds wooden tables, you may sell one table and already pay back your space fee plus make a profit. So you want to think about, you know, am I setting myself up to succeed? How much product do I actually have to move here in order to make this worthwhile for me? Another physical option is a consignment shop. And this is where you find a local shop or boutique that will let you put your stuff in their place. Um, Some situations are completely consignment where every booth in there is someone else's stuff whereas others might be you know you might find a specialty local boutique like we have um, a shop locally where the person makes all kinds of things with lavender and so she does bath bombs and you know lotions and all that stuff and you know it's just this cool little local shop and You know, if I went to her and said, hey, Dawn, can I put a couple signs in your shop? You know, that would be a different situation versus everything being consignment. But still, you're in a situation where the shop owner is probably the one who's going to be in there or their employees all the time. And you don't have to commit yourself to being there physically. So that's a bonus for consignment. The downside is that you have to pay a portion of your sales to whoever owns that shop. So, you know, it's sort of a give and take. Um, Another idea for physical stuff is to get creative and go to a place that's not a designated craft fair, but where there might be an opportunity. So let's say that you're a lettering artist like I am it's fall, people are going to pumpkin patches all the time. So for me, I would say, okay, let's find a local pumpkin patch. And I say, hey, I'm a local lettering artist, how about I set up a stand, people do your hay ride. they pick their pumpkin, they come back, they buy it, then they can come over to my table and they can pay a couple extra dollars and I'll personalize their pumpkin with some quick hand lettering put a little fall quote, put a little monogram. Everybody's happy. Everybody wins. So that's a situation where I'm not competing for customers. They're already there. And then I'm offering an extra service. So it's a win-win for me and for the business as well as for customers, because I'm offering an additional service that The pumpkin patch didn't already have um so that's something to think about you know think about like food truck festivals or a local wine tasting you know what could you sell how could you work your product into that um If it's a good fit, if it makes sense. Um, So, those are some things to think about as far as a physical setup. Um, A couple of tips if you're going to do a physical setup, you wanna make sure that it's very visually engaging and that people can clearly see your items as well as the prices on those items. I know for myself, if I have to ask the price of something, I'm just going to forget I'm going to forget it completely. I'm going to put it back and walk away because if I ask you how much it costs and then I don't want to pay that price, I feel super awkward all of a sudden putting it back and walking away. So I would rather just not ask the question. I'll just walk away from your booth and not make what could have been a purchase. So make sure that everything is clearly labeled for prices, etc. Um you also want to kind of stage things at different levels. You can like take crates and cover them with some fabric to make a stand that something can sit up on. Um, just make it visually interesting for people and set up your space in a way that invites people in, like a little horseshoe shape or something so they can walk in to browse. Um I also suggest that you have something on your table that's really affordable, something that's in like, say, the $1 to $5 range. Um, When I was growing up, my parents had a craft business, and it was a big thing for us. Every weekend, every Saturday, we were set up at the local craft fair, and we would you know, we had it down to a routine. We'd get in, we'd set up, we'd sell, we'd tear down, we'd go to Pizza um, But my parents, the, the really smart thing that they did was they sold these little string bracelets and necklaces. They were like that elastic cording. And my parents would string those little um, really colorful, clear, sparkly beads on them and just tie them off. And they were stretchy. So they fit everybody I want to say they sold necklaces for like a dollar and bracelets were 50 cents and they had this huge display. My dad built this little wooden display board for them and they had it sitting on the very edge of the table right at kid's eye level and so every child that would walk past our table would be like, oh my gosh, sparkly, colors, what? I want this. Because think about it, there's not a ton of stuff at the average craft fair for kids. So these kids are with their moms, they're bored, senseless, and they come across something that appeals to them. And guess what? It's a dollar or 50 cents. So how many moms do you think said no? I can remember like two moms in probably 15 years of doing this. Um So You know, having something that's really, really inexpensive and appealing is going to get people to your booth because once those moms came over and were getting ready to pay for the bracelet or the necklace for their child, then all of a sudden they were looking at everything else on my parents' table and they would see the other things, the wreaths that my mom had made or whatever else it was, and they sometimes would say, oh hey, I really like this, and we might end up with a $30 or $40 sale because of that 50 cent bracelet. So think about having something really affordable So that, you know, it's accessible to everybody walking by because I know I'm cheap. I'm looking for a bargain. I'm looking for um, inexpensive things that I can pick up for myself and my friends. Um, So think about having something in that range. Um. Ornaments at Christmas time are good for that. Little pins, earrings, tiny little stud earrings, postcards, stuff like that. You know, whatever fits in your niche of what you do, but is something that can be really affordable. Um, you can also incentivize by doing some kind of a sale, like a buy two, get one free, or a contest, enter to win something, and I always suggest that you offer or that you give something free when somebody makes a purchase and this could be something as simple as like at the holidays one of those little tiny candy canes in the package you know I mean that's costing you cents and at the same time people are like oh look I got something how nice was that so it just creates an impression that people love because people love free. All right so um, the last suggestion that I have for you when you're doing something in a physical setup is that you want to be crafting. You want to be creating, be physically busy doing something. I will tell you that especially as an introvert going to craft fairs, it is so awkward for me to go in and browse somebody's stuff when they're staring at me. I hate it. I won't do it. Even if I'm super interested in the stuff, I will walk right by because it's so uncomfortable watching the artist watch you look at their stuff. It's awful. So, and it's awful for you to watch people, you know, and see, oh, do they like it? Do they not like it? Are they going to buy? So just get your hands and your eyeballs busy Do what it is that you do, and that's actually going to bring people to your booth or your setup because they're going to be interested, like, hey, what's she doing? Um, There's this really cool place in Alexandria, Virginia called called the Torpedo Factory Art Center, and the whole thing is little artist shops, and the artists are there working in their studios, and you can watch them, and it's like this huge attraction, and that's what I think a craft fair should be. Instead of people just sitting and watching and waiting all day, make stuff. Unless your craft is something you absolutely physically cannot do outside of your house or your craft room, by golly, you should be making it, doing it so that people can watch. And that's going to draw them in, have them look more at your stuff. It's going to lead to questions and conversations and relationships, which leads to sales, which leads to money, and everybody wins. So that's kind of my thoughts on physical sales. Now let's talk real quickly about online sales. The pros here, you've got a worldwide market and there's no time commitment for you other than the time that it takes to fulfill orders and make whatever your product is. It fits totally into your schedule. Do it when you want. Drop it when you want. The cons are shipping, obviously, um, and you miss out on that face-to-face interaction. But you know there are some definite pros to this because You can sell to somebody if you live in America, like I do. You can sell to somebody in Australia, make that sale while you're sleeping, which is awesome. Um, now there's a couple options for that, there's lots of places online you can sell. Um, Etsy is a big one. Now, the one thing about Etsy is that there's lots of competition, and that can be kind of a tough thing for folks because they feel like it's hard to get found, but you can always get found there by people who do a search whereas if you have a different website you know there are some people who when they need something they just go to Etsy and if you're not there they're not going to find you. Um, Shopify is another option that I've also done they let you have a custom domain so you can make it really look like your own website create um you know you have more creative control over what your store looks like Um, you can have like a scrolling slider all kinds of stuff Um, I actually had both running at the same time and I made more sales on Etsy. So that's just something to think about. Um, tips I would say you know offer again some incentives you can offer you know some kind of really affordable product and seasonal and occasional coupon codes and sales that encourage people to buy and I would also say you want to get reviews from people when I'm buying online I am checking reviews how many stars do you have and what are people saying so get as many positive reviews as you possibly can. One way to do that is to ship fast, people love that quick turnaround the number one comment on my Etsy shop was great fast shipping. So, you know, that's a good way to get people happy. Another way is to follow up. If you make a sale, ship it, you've got tracking, you know, when you know it's been delivered, send a message. Hey, I hope you got your shirt or whatever it is in the mail. I hope you love it. I'd love to see a photo of you wearing it or of your kid playing with the toy or your dog snuggling with the blanket or whatever it is. And people will appreciate that personal interaction. And as long as they enjoyed the product, which of course they're Going to because you make awesome things, they're going to come back and be like, Hey, I actually really love it. Here's a photo. And then, you know, just say, Hey, if you don't mind, could you take two seconds to write a review for me? And of course, they will. And that will help to boost your sales. Also, consider doing the advertising on Facebook or Instagram, those paid posts. You know, play around with it. Try it for $10 or $20. It's not a huge monetary commitment. Just see what kind of reach that gets you. Or you can also reach out to influencers, folks like me who have lots of followers that um, they can advertise to. Just say, hey, um, I'd like to send you my whatever. No pressure, but if you like it, if you snapped a picture of yourself, I would just love it if you would share that on your Instagram stories. Now, most of us won't work for just product as far as like, I'm not going to write a blog post about something that I get sent from an Etsy shop, but I will share it all over my social media if I love it. In fact, I've got a really cool doormat coming from an Etsy shop owner. She made it based on one of my Instagram posts recently about not having a welcome doormat because I'm an introvert. Um, But she made it and it says, come back with thin mints. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to blast it all over social media when it gets here because I already love it. Um, So I'm happy to do that because I think, it's super cool Um, so think about you know who could you send it to that has an audience that you're interested in Uh, make sure their brand aligns with yours similar interests similar values etc but you know um that's always an option too is to reach out and get some people to um to help you promote your shops so um I hope that this helps you a little bit as you're looking at the possibility of selling your creative work. So we've got physical, we've got online, and I think, honestly, the best answer is both. Um, Etsy and Shopify don't require like a huge monthly subscription fee or anything. It doesn't cost very much to try Etsy. It just, you know, there's a small listing fee and then they take a little percentage of your sale, but you are not taking a giant financial risk when you're starting an Etsy shop. So why not give it a try and see what happens? Um, So I hope that you find this helpful. I'm thinking about those five questions. What are you selling? How do you price it? What do you call your business? Why are you selling? And where? How are you selling? So, um, Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have continued questions about this, I have a million more things to say. Just no more minutes to say it in this particular podcast. Um, and I promise Little Crafter that my special interview podcast with him about the Express Yourself Kids book would be next. So the next one coming out, I look for a very special interview with my son. Um, but thanks so much for joining in today. And please send any questions my way because I would love to continue to talk to you about turning your hobby into to a business. Thanks for listening to the Crafting and Coffee Podcast with Amy Latta Creations. For more inspiration, check out amylattacreations.com.